0: God. Just rearrange the furniture. Oh, praise God, church. Isn't the Lord good? Yes. Amen. The, oh, every lie that the enemy spoke over us has been canceled yes. and we've been redeemed. We have been cleansed and we are here washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Lord is good. Just before we come around the word, let's just bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we want to thank you that, God, it's because of what you have done, because you, Father, left the comfort of heaven and glory that you came down here upon this earth, Lord God, that, Father, we are saved today. We thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, that it was by your blood, Father, that was shed upon that cross, your body given for us, that, God, that we can stand in your freedom this morning. So, Father, we pray that, Father, as we continue in this time of worship, Lord, as we gather around your word now, Father, I pray that you will open up every heart and every mind and every spirit, Lord God. Father, we pray that here this morning, that, Lord, that as we gather around, Lord, that you will just minister and divide and break your word, Father, to your people this day, that Father we will receive daily bread, Father, directly from your hand. So, Father, anoint my mouth and my heart. And Father, anoint our ears and our hearts, Lord God, to receive all that you have for us, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. Is the sound coming across alright? Sounds a bit echoey, Tinny. Tinny, no? Okay. Cool. Now, there was some research that was commissioned by a number of Christian organizations, including Alpha and the Evangelical Alliance, to name but a few. And it was commissioned in order to get a pulse of where the UK is in terms of Christ, the church, and Christians. But more importantly, on how they are perceived by those who are outside of the church. And this research... It was carried out over a period of seven years and was finally completed in February of this year and it makes for a fascinating read. And just to highlight a couple of points, they found that almost half, that's 45% of the British public, believe in the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead. A third of non-Christians who know and have had a conversation with a non-believer about their faith, I mean with a believer about their faith, they wanted to know more about Jesus following that discussion. Or to put it another way, unbelievers after having a conversation with a believer wanted to know more and that's an increase from one in five from back in 2015 to now being one in three in other words since the pandemic people are now more open than we think and that's encouraging isn't it in fact Rachel Heffer Head of Mission at the Evangelical Alliance said that the report presents good news for both the church across the UK and for us as individual Christian witnesses. That it goes to reaffirm that our non-Christian friends think well of us and even like us. That there is an ever greater openness to hear our stories of faith. Praise God. And Dr. Jordan Wolfe, the executive director of Hope Together, she reaffirms that post-pandemic, there has never been a better time or more need for us as Christians to invest in making Jesus known, to which I say a wholehearted amen. Amen, church. In other words, it is not all doom and gloom, but there is hope for the church yet. You see, there's a rumor that is going around. It's doing the rounds and it's saying that the church is in decline, but that simply is not the case. Because the true church of Christ, it continues to flourish, even in the midst of difficulty. Because the Lord has got his hand upon his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. 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 And so, that said, we're going to continue on from last time. And this morning I've entitled this message as simply Being With and Becoming More Like Jesus, Part 2. And so again, you're going to need your Bibles this morning. So if you have them, then please come with me. Open them up, and we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, and verse 13 onwards. And it reads And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jump over now to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read portions from chapter 10. Verse 1, it says... Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 17. And now the 72, they return and they give their report. And it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. Now, last time you may remember how we looked at how the Lord called his disciples and what discipleship meant in the first century. That according to the Jewish educational system, there were three levels or phases of schooling. As in, there was Bet Sefer, the house of the book. Bet Talmud, the house of learning. And then thirdly, and if one was fortunate enough to make the cut, then they would become a Talmudim or a disciple under a notable rabbi. And as a disciple or a Talmudim, As they apprenticed under a rabbi, they would have three goals. And can anyone remember what those goals were? And now we're going to put you guys to the test to see whether you were paying attention last time or not. Anyone? No? Okay, let me help you. Their three goals were to be with their rabbi, to become like their rabbi, and then finally to do as their rabbi did. They would be with their rabbi, morning, noon, and night, 24-7 around the clock, all in a bid to imitate him. His words, his works, and his deeds, as well as his ways, his tone, and mannerism to essentially become a carbon copy of their rabbi in all that he did. And what's more, is when this relationship between the rabbi and the disciple came together, it was always a case of the disciple seeking out the rabbi and never the other way around. However, in the case of the disciples and us, It is Jesus, our great rabbi, who takes the initiative and who makes the first move. And he comes to us and calls us to follow him. And this was unheard of in the first century. Because a highly sought after or a rock star rabbi, if you like, would never stand up in the middle of a crowd and say... If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. They would never do such a thing. Because that would be akin to a top class professor from, say, Oxford or Cambridge University putting out a tweet on his social media feed saying, But if anyone wants a free degree without having to pay those extortionate fees, then simply DM me or send me a direct message and I'll hook you up. Not going to happen, right? (laughs) However, shock to the system. That is exactly what Jesus does and did. In that he says... It doesn't matter where you have been and what you have done or whether you have an education or not. Come and follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. In other words, a great teacher who is able to captivate the hearts and the minds of humanity. Praise God. In other words, or as someone has once said, he said, Christ, he doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Amen? Amen. And once a disciple was paired with a rabbi, they would become like him, and they would do everything that he did. And last time, as we saw that the key to all fruitfulness love and power it comes through the means of the word abiding to simply be with jesus john chapter 15 and you may remember that analogy of the tea bag that the longer it remains in the cup the more stronger it becomes and the same is true of us that the more we menow and abide and dwell in the presence of Jesus, the more Christ-like we become. Amen. Amen. So that's just a bit of a recap. But today, I would like us to look at becoming more like Jesus and doing the things that he did. Namely, to preach the gospel. To cast out devils and to heal the sick. Are you up for that this morning, church? Because I believe that if we make ourselves open and available to him, then anything is possible. And in the process, we become more and more like our rabbi. Amen. Now... Becoming more like Jesus is a biblical framework and it's a biblical model demonstrated by the Lord himself. I mean, it's discipleship 101 according to Jesus. In that first, Jesus says, watch me. And then secondly, he says, now you have a go and I'll watch you. And then after, he says, now off you go and make disciples Of all nations. Now you may say, but Rana, how on earth did Jesus do what he did? I mean, how did he perform his miracles and from where did he get his power from? And that's a good question, one which deserves an answer. And so here is my attempt. You see, when it comes to the question of how did Jesus do all that he did, there are two schools of thought. Some, they say, well, it's because Jesus was God. Therefore, the miracles that he performed were due to his godness. End of story, no further discussion required. However, others would argue that Jesus was able to minister in the supernatural because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, to be honest, I never really gave it much thought. But then the more I looked into it, the more filled with hope and joy I became. Because if it is the latter of these two views, then we have much to get excited about. Because the implications are huge for followers of Christ. But before we get there, allow me to give you the backstory or the backdrop, if you like. Now, we are told that before the Enlightenment era, around the 18th century, where science became king and rationalism undermined religious tradition, the average person had a more of a spiritual worldview. As in, before this period, when the sun rose in the morning, people believed that God had made a brand new day. And this is true. However, post-enlightenment, and due to scientific discovery, people would then say, Wow, the sun hasn't just come up, but the sun rises because the earth is spinning at approximately 1,000 miles per hour. And that the earth revolves around the sun at approximately 67,000 miles per hour. And we are nothing more than just a speck of dust on this huge ball we call the earth. Thus, a more secular worldview was birthed. And with it came the terminology like natural and supernatural. Natural meaning governed by the laws of science. Supernatural meaning surpassing the laws of science. And with that, the belief in a supernatural God was thrown out. Because the supernatural was no longer considered to be popular or fashionable to believe in. And at this point, some Christians are just freaking out, as they often do. And so, as a reaction to the age of enlightenment, the idea that everything Jesus did was because he was God, was Born, And that idea has been doing the rounds ever since. Now, yes, Jesus is the unique Son of God. And yes, he is the second person of the Trinity. 100% absolutely, no denying it. However to relegate everything to the divinity and to the godness of our Lord, it doesn't quite tally up. Because the problem with this assumption is that if Jesus performed miracles due to his godness, then how do we explain Moses and Elijah, Peter and Paul performing their miracles because they never claimed divinity? And so... The claim that Jesus did everything that he did because he was God was simply a reaction to the age of enlightenment. Because prior to this and going back to the early church and going back to our original question of how did Jesus do what he did? Well, the position of the early church in line with the scriptures, was that Jesus did everything that he did under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And allow me now just to make the case. You see, during the first 30 years in the life of our Lord, Jesus never performed a single miracle. But the only thing that we ever read of note is that he's in the temple at the age of 12 and he is teaching. And the people marveled and they are amazed but he performed no miracle. But then, fast forward to the Lord's baptism. And there we see the heavens break open, the Spirit descends, and the Father speaks over the Son and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, we see a theophany where all three members of the Godhead are present. Praise God. And then immediately after the baptism, we read, that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And after 40 days, and after being tempted by the devil, Luke tells us that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Now, why is Luke careful to record this detail? Because he wants us to know that it's only after the Spirit descends that the ministry of our Lord is initiated and activated. And that makes sense, especially when we read and understand it in light of that great Christological hymn that we find in the book of Philippians, chapter 2 and verses 6 to 11, where speaking of Jesus, it says... Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, putting it together at the Incarnation, Jesus lays aside his divinity in part when he becomes a man. But then, at his baptism, he is anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus explains this when he begins his ministry. And he tells us this in Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is is upon me because he has what anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, glory. And Acts 10.38 reiterates this. And confirms that Jesus did all that he did. Because God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Praise God. Now, why have I labored on this for this morning? Firstly, because I want you to see the beautiful tapestry that is woven throughout God's holy word. And secondly, and as John Thompson tells us, that Jesus is not only our saviour, our master and our Lord. He is all those things, but he is also our model and our example to follow. That if Jesus needed the empowering of the Spirit's presence, then how much more do we? Amen. And so, if we really want to be like Jesus and do the things that he did, then we really need to lean into the things of the Spirit. And like Jesus, we need to become 100% submitted to the Father and 100% reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Because what began with Jesus, thankfully, doesn't end with Jesus. But rather, he commissions us to go and do likewise in the power of his Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, just before moving over to Harlow, a dear brother and I were ministering to a family that was coming under some spiritual attack. In fact, it was demonic. Now, at this point, I didn't have much experience with dealing with deliverance ministries and the demonic However, when I heard that there were churches who allegedly professed to be, that believe in the, spirit, the things of the spirit and yet refused to help this precious family, it quite frankly grieved me because that's not the heart of Jesus. And so we went to minister to this family and I thought that there was going to be this huge showdown between God and the devil. But in reality, there was no such thing. <laughs> We began to pray for this family. And as we did, in the name of Jesus, this demon begins to manifest and tells us, do not pray in that name, but pray in the name of God. And so we began to pray in the name of Jesus even more. And as we did, this demon begins to shudder and shake under the power of that glorious and blessed name. Praise him. Now... I mention that to say that this is part of the ministry that Jesus calls his church to. But let us not be like the 72 who return rejoicing that demons were subject to them. There is a place for that. But more than that, let us rejoice in the fact that our names are written in glory. Amen. Amen. Now, if you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then these things, preaching the gospel, casting out devils and healing the sick, ought to be standard for us. Because as we apprentice under our Lord in the school of Jesus, we will never graduate. But as we abide in Him and grow in greater and greater intimacy with Him, we will become more like Him and do as He did. Do you believe that, church? Because I tell you, the church is His visible presence here upon the earth. And he has given us much authority. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. And he is with us every step of the way. But the enemy would have you believe that you're powerless. You're nothing. You're a nobody. Just like we saw that little clip earlier on. We have no power. And it's the greatest deception. It's the biggest lie coming from the very pit of hell. But once a believer begins to stand in his or her authority as to who he or she is in Jesus, the enemy isn't afraid of the sheep. He's afraid of the shepherd who stands behind the sheep. And what does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. And no one can come and ravage his sheep. He stands guard over them. He's a faithful husband. And he is a good shepherd and a great God. Amen. Amen. Now, earlier on, I mentioned that there's a rumor going around that the church is in decline. But I never actually gave you the full picture. And so, here it is. According to the research of Dr. John Hayward, a mathematician who was recently crunching the numbers with regards to the health of the church in the UK, he found that most churches are facing extinction. And he based this on the R number, which I'm sure we're all familiar with due to the pandemic. It's the rate of reproduction in how quickly a disease can transmit and spread from one person to another. And as you'll remember, the government were doing their level best to keep the R number below 1. Because the lesser the number, the less infectious, the higher the number goes, the rate of transmission also increases. Now, Dr Hayward, he applied this same principle to Christians, to see how the Christian faith is transmitted or passed on from one person to another. And so he came up with an R number for each church. And his results were eye-opening. Are you ready? Okay. His data showed that the Church of England and the Catholic Church have an R number of 0.9 meaning that the number of churchgoers in the future will reduce because no new people are joining or adding to the church. And if at this rate it continues with that R number, then both the C of E and the Catholic Church could see their congregations fall to zero by the year 2062, which is what, 40 years from now? The Methodist Church fares even worse, with an R number of 0.85, meaning that they could face extinction by the mid-2040s. The church in Wales could disappear by 2038 as it has an R number of 0.7. So that's both the bad and the sad news. However... There are a few churches that are bucking the trend, as it were. And they are coming out of the evangelical wing of the church. And they are, drum roll. (laughs) In first place, it is Elam. And by the grace of God, we are one of the fastest growing churches in the UK. We are closely followed by the New Frontiers and the FIEC churches as we all have an R number of between 1 and 1.1. And we praise God for our contagious faith. Amen. You see, John Thompson, who studied church history, found, and I love this, he said that the churches that have stood the test of time Are those who practice spiritual disciplines, who exercise their spiritual gifts, because these will then go on to have spiritual experiences. And this triad of practicing the spiritual disciplines and exercising our spiritual gifts and going on to having spiritual experiences, they all contribute towards our spiritual formation or our discipleship in the Lord. And in the process, we are maturing our faith and we are becoming more and more like our rabbi. In other words, a church that holds to the truth of his word and his ways will never die or decline because he is the one who is upholding her. And so, let us continue to be good news people. And let us continue to share his gospel through our very lives. And as we continue to abide in him, let us become more and more like him. Let's pray. I wonder if that's your heart this morning, that you want to see more of the manifest presence of God breaking out wherever you go and just join with me in this prayer and just just join your yes with his because i don't know about you church but i don't want to just contain his presence and his power in this house as wonderful as it is to come and gather and just to be refreshed in his presence but more than that i want to see his kingdom breaking out in the office this time tomorrow morning wherever you may be, in the, in the workplace, at the coffee shop, or meeting with your colleagues, or even walking the dog with your neighbour, whatever it may be, whatever that looks like for you tomorrow morning and throughout the week, don't you want to see his kingdom break in and come in? And the great thing is, as we see more miracles outside of the church than there are inside, because that's where people are, and that's where his spirit is moving and working, and he wants to meet with them. And he uses his church, his body, individuals, both individually and corporately, to move in and through us to them. You see, your colleagues at work, I cannot speak with them. I would love to, but I can't. That's why you're there. Or wherever you go, which is why you're there. So if that's your heart, then just join with me. Just say, pray under your own breath, God, this is what I want. I don't want to just just tick the box. I don't want to just do church and then on to the normal things. But God, I want you. And I want to see your kingdom come. Father, we want to thank you that God, you are such a good and such a gracious God. Father, as we look back over church history, we have seen kingdoms and dynasties, empires, Father, Lord, who have, Lord, risen up and tried to silence your church, Father, tried to take her out. And yet, Father, your church has continued to remain and it still stands today because, God, you are in charge of your church and you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail, God. Father, we thank you that you are our refuge and our fortress, oh God. And Father, we thank you that we can run into you, Lord, and we are safe, Lord, in you. But Father, you don't call us to, to gather on a Sunday mornings to quickly gather all the people in and whip up the drawbridge to keep those people out and just to keep ourselves in and safe. But God, you call us, Lord, to be your people. You have anointed us. You have equipped us. And after the modeling of Jesus, Father, Lord, we are to go and do as you did as you walked this earth. Father, we're not content. We're just sitting here and, and just, Father, just rejoicing. It's great, as wonderful as that is. But God, you've called us for more. You call us to share, Lord, who you are, Father, to go for our lost brothers and sisters, to let them know that there is a Father in heaven who loves them and is calling them to himself. And, Father, you build your church through your church. So, Father, I pray that those, Lord, whose hearts that you can see right now, those who want to join their yes with yours, Father, I pray that you will increase upon us, Lord increase, Father, that we will be more sensitive to your spirit, Lord, that we will do whatever you want us to do, Father, in any given moment, that, God, that as we're in the office tomorrow morning or whatever we may do, whatever we may be doing, Lord, the supermarket, the coffee shop, wherever, God, that we will be attuned to your voice, that still, small voice speaking to us. And God, I pray that we will take a a step of faith and we will perhaps walk over, Lord, or offer somebody a smile or even a greeting. And Father, just to hear what you are saying and to be that conduit, Lord God, for heaven to touch earth through us. So Father, we give you praise and we give you all glory. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to form us And conform us and transform us into your image for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.